Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 166 with Laura Kometko. She is a circus performer as part of the Cirque du Soleil show Cousa. More about her in a moment. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by the jolly good fine folk at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. For as little as $5 a month, you can support the show. Feel good in your tummy and hopefully enjoy some exclusive episodes that are not provided to other people. You get a link to a special RSS feed, which gives you a podcast feed, which no one else can hear but you. So that's exciting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to make the show if it weren't for my supporters on Patreon because podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. And with your support, I can pay Andy, my producer, and Haley, my production coordinator, to make sure that we have a show each week. Thank you so much to everybody that sent me podsies this week. A P-O-D-S-I-E is a photo that you take with your phone when you're listening to this. So you're listening to this on a phone, pick it up out of your pocket, your purse, your bag, your driving thing, pull over to do it first. Swipe up in your camera, take a photo, hit me with the email, send osheremail at gmail.com or tag me on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat uh, and let me know where you listen. We've got some great ones in this week from uh, backyard pools, from kitchen meal prep for the week of cooking. Uh, one great one came from Machu Picchu on the Inca Trail. Tom sent that one in. That was fantastic. Got a good one in from Bath. 
uh, out in the UK there. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a really interesting way for you to let me know where you're listening and uh, let me see who's listening to the show and put a face to the thousands of people that listen to the show each week. I, I really like it. So shoot me a podsy, P-O-D-S-I-E, either on email or whatever. You can email me anytime you like. Send Osher email at gmail.com is my email address. Um, I told you last week the big news that I got married. Yay, I got married, which was awesome. Uh, a month ago today, it's my one-month anniversary. Isn't that exciting? Uh, yeah, me and Audrey got married under a grove of melaleuca trees in the bush out in Wollumbai, which is about two hours out of Sydney. It was about 37 degrees that day. Um, yes, as I told you last week, I got married barefoot, um, and it was it was bloody lovely. We had such a good night. And then uh, as we went into the reception, Georgia, my stepdaughter, did the most glorious, glorious dance. She um, choreographed the whole opening dance routines for everybody. And she did the most glorious piece to Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. And later on in the night, she gave the most gorgeous speech. It was just extraordinary that this young woman is is, is growing up before my eyes. She's an incredible kid. Um, I got there just, I reckon, in the last few weeks, I think, of uh, lying in bed at night and reading stories to her. And I'm just super grateful for that because, um, yeah, she's a delight. And honestly, being married to Audrey is its really something. She's really had to teach me to accept her help. I know that sounds weird, but I don't know, for some reason I was always reluctant to accept her help or her support or, I don't know, I was really weird about that. Um, but... Yeah, she managed to kind of keep bashing on that brick wall and eventually it fell over. <laughs> um, life is so much better now that I have this wonderful human being in my life that I get to share this adventure with. It's uh, really nice. We then went on a, uh, we went on a, well, most people go on a honeymoon. We went on a Georgia moon uh, because we took Georgia with us. We went to Japan, which was great. Uh, went to, um, Something about a first world country that's really got their shit together. It really makes you see our own country in Australia, that is, and just go, wow, there's so many things we could be doing that we're not. But really, it's the little things. Like they say in Pulp Fiction, it's the little things. Like when you go to the supermarket, you bag your own groceries. That's not uncommon. You do it at Aldi. But when you bag your own groceries, there's little chucks, a folded up chucks that's been damped, damped, wet. So it's damp. And so you just touch your finger on it, and that way you can get the bags open. I mean, doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out that that's a good idea. Little stuff like that. Um, it's just such a packed country. You know, there's there's all these protocols and there's a protocol for everything from, from paying for something at a shop. You put the money in a little tray. They get you your change. So you're holding the change in your hand while you look at the money that you gave them. Like they don't put the money away in the till first. You know, they, they give you, it's, it's really interesting. And it, it's very much a culture of, I will make as little impact on everyone else around me as possible to make everyone else's day nice. People wait patiently in train lines. The trains come on time to the second. There's no pushing or shoving. It was bloody nice. I'm sure it's oppressive in other ways. I'm sure there's you know, people that wish they could escape it or, or, or feel a little more liberated from it. I'm sure that's, you know, as far as I'm aware, the legal system isn't so great and that you can be, you, you know, you, you, you can get, sent to jail pretty easily over there um but 
there was this, there was this one point where we were in a, a Starbucks because there was Wi-Fi, and um, my camera bag, which was sitting next to my chair, um, fell over, so it was in the path of people trying to get past the counter. And this bloke was walking in, and he gave me this look that was just a death stare, and I couldn't. It was like, what did I do? What have I done? And I looked down, and I saw that my bag was blocking the way, and. It's kind of interesting how everybody keeps each other in check. Like, man, you're not doing your part. You got to do your part. We all we're all in this together, man. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that because I I don't really have much experience in being in such a homogenous society where everyone where where we when we were sitting there, uh, we were the only Europeans in in many of the places that we went, which was a fascinating experience to be in. And um, I, I really felt that back in Australia we could. We could take something of that. We could take a little bit of, you know, what can I do to make everyone around, make my impact on everyone around me as small as possible? How can I not annoy or, you know, upset people around me? So there's no rubbish bins anywhere because people just don't litter. They take their rubbish with them and get rid of it at home. It's, it's just, there's really something about that. You know, we in our culture in Australia, we are very much about the the loud person, the the the, the larrikin. You know, he's just having a bit of fun. No, you're being a loud motherfucker on a train while I'm trying to just get on my way after a shitty day at work. You know, I don't care about the phone call you're having. Just cool it, pal. We're all here. We're all on a journey together, literally on a train. Anyway, um, it was it was pretty lovely, but it did give me hope that there's other ways of living in a society and maybe we can learn from them and some things they may be able to learn from us and hopefully together we can move forward. Uh, I certainly don't know about you, but I'm trying to avoid the news at the moment because shit, man, even Trump's first week was just like, you fucking what? I um, I had the fortune or misfortune to uh, look at Waleed Ali's editorial on the project this week. You can find it on Twitter just recapping the first week of what Trump did. And it's just like, you fucking hell, man. It's not just political divisive stuff, politically divisive stuff. It's it's things like that just seem to go against morals and decency and are only driven by a dollar outcome for a particularly small party, a particularly large dollar outcome for a particularly small party, that and an enormous culture of fear. Um, it just freaked me out. It, it, and that really bothered me, the, the, the sense of reason that seemed to be missing and the sense of moralness and that instead of a moral acceptance of the other person's point of view or some empathy or compassion, for what people on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the political spectrum may be feeling, it feels like there's none of that. And it's almost a, a, a birthright to act in this particular way with no thought to how it may affect others. Exactly the opposite of what I was just talking about. And it freaked me right out. <laughs> so thankfully, once again, my beautiful wife, Audrey, was there to talk me down. Uh, so I don't know, this week we can only affect... The world around us, I can't affect change in America. All I can do is affect the world around me. So I was uh, proud to march for the uh, Survival Day on Thursday, January 26th, as I told you I would, because that's a part of me 
trying to affect change in the world around me in my country because that's all that I can do. And that's where it starts for every one of us. It starts with an individual choice to be the person that doesn't have the loud conversation on the train, to save that phone call for when you get off the train, to not throw your rubbish on the floor because those little choices are the ones that eventually multiply when thousands and thousands upon thousands of people do them to create tons of litter in the street or a shitty commute home for everyone. So yeah, perhaps, I don't know, this week, that's what at least I'm going to try and do. That's what I'm going to try and do. Let me tell you about my guest today. She's a real treat. My guest today is Laura Kometko. She is an Australian circus performer who is currently part of the Cirque du Soleil production of Kuza, which has been around uh, Sydney and Brisbane, is currently playing in Melbourne. It is going to move on to Perth in April. Now, even though Laura has been with Cirque for many years, this is her first time performing in her home country in Australia. So it was a real thrill for her to, to perform here. I've been lucky enough to see a number of Cirque du Soleil shows, including a few in Las Vegas, which are in permanently installed theatres, which have been specifically designed for the production, and they are positively mind-blowing. Um, it's well worth going to Las Vegas to check it out. You don't need to gamble. You don't need to, you know, go to nightclubs. Just go and see Cirque du Soleil shows. I think there's seven there. It is incredible. Really incredible stuff. We went to the show. We went to the Cooza show in Sydney. I took the family and um, I can't recommend it highly enough. We were, it was t literally like you'll pay for the whole ticket, but you'll only use the edge. Of no, hang on. You'll pay for the whole seat, but you'll only use the edge. That's what it is. We literally were on the edges of our seats the whole time. It was absolutely mind-blowing stuff. And it's not often that you get to be, and Laura and I talk about this, about you know having that collective audience reaction in a, in a, in a theatre in the round of about 800 people. Um, to have that, ooh, ah, <gasps> all that kind of stuff together was really uh, really quite lovely because there's so few of that, so little, so little of that lately. We're all just face down, snouts in our phones, looking for the likes, looking for the refresh, looking for the latest news, looking for the next thing on the news feed to click like. Did someone click like on my post? Yay. We went backstage at the Kuza show when we met Laura, and that's why I asked her to come and be on the podcast. Um, it's pretty interesting backstage. It's the same area, the size the same size area, again, of the show, the floor space of, of that where all the stages and the, and the seating takes place, there's the same size again in the back, which is uh, the training areas and where new people learn new acts and, and they, they basically train all day and then do the show. It's not like they just hang out and then do their five minutes. Um, I highly recommend you go see the show. It's absolutely fantastic. But Laura is a, a brilliant chat. Um, I'm very grateful that she agreed to come on the show because it's really nice to have a chat with someone who has found a way to make her passion her career. I really hope you enjoy this one and that it inspires you to follow what really, really floats your boat. Go and see the show if you can. It's absolutely fantastic. And enjoy this conversation with Laura Kometko. How are you, Laura? Good. You're good? Yeah, I'm really good. Welcome. Thank you. Here we both are in beautiful Brisbane, Australia. Today's a big day for you. Yes. Why is today such a big day? Well, tonight's actually my 900th show with Kuza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's exciting. That, I can't even begin to think about the amount of work that that has taken. That's three full years of shows, so. Wow. 
How many shows a week? Uh, we do between eight and ten. Yeah. Eight and ten. Now, a fair amount, hang on. So this is the second time we met. We met backstage at the Sydney uh, Big Top, which is yeah. the same Big Top. You see it all the time, but I, I see it every <laughs> then again. And um, we came backstage with uh, my stepdaughter, and she was so excited to meet you. And really um, nice. when I was backstage, it was about the same amount of area that is front of house, and it's just like this massive kind of mega gym. Yeah. That <laughs> that yeah. sure working. How did you? Hang on, first up, what, what part of Australia are you from? I'm from Melbourne originally. Right? Yeah. And how does one run away and join the circus? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think the journey is different for everybody. And but, for you? Uh, for me, it was um, ballet, gymnastics, um, three years of full-time circus arts training in Melbourne, um, audition with Cirque du Soleil a long time ago, almost 13 years ago now. Um, and then, so you're on the database and then you can wait for an opening in the company basically and keep updating them with your skills. And so I did that. I left it for a while. I came back and, um, yeah, Kusa was about the fourth contract that I was on, on offer for. So yeah. Well, well hang a on. Long There's time. a lot there. Cause, yeah. cause I'm kind of interested mainly because I'm still at the, the ballet gymnastics part <laughs> with Gigi. All right. So she's just about to turn 13. So I'm oh, guess wow. I'm guessing your, uh, your um your weekends were a lot of oh, can you take me to dance can you pick me up from dancing oh, forget weekends uh, I'm yeah going to sleep it was, over at my uh, friends my friends from dancing um a lot of like uh, did, did you do all your Stedfords and stuff and oh it was um well I started a lot younger than that so I was doing that oh yeah she's been about, out forever I've only been around since yeah, she was ten yeah 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 so I did it from about seven or eight and then I was doing gymnastics um by the time I was eleven I was doing thirty two hours a week of elite gymnastics training. So I'm trying to think of how many sleepovers I've actually ever been to in my life. It wasn't <laughs> Did so you have the Eastern that. European coach and everything? Yeah, we had Russian coaches. Um, yeah, absolutely. Australian, uh, Russian. When I went back to circus arts, I had another Russian hand balancing coach um, and a Russian tumbling coach as well. So yeah, that's kind of nice because I'm, I'm half Ukrainian. So I like that. Oh, really? Which yeah. part? Your father, your mum? Uh, my my dad, yeah. Your dad, yes. Half Ukrainian. It's my right. interesting last name. My dad's well, my dad's Czech. Okay. Um, so close, but not far. Eastern uh, European. Eastern yeah. European. Why? Why Eastern Europe for um, the the circus and the bending and the and the lifting? Why? Yeah, actually, um, Mongolia and Russia. Um, the Russians particularly have a very strong uh, handstand, and the Ukrainian actually um, they have a circus arts training school there. They're all really strong in in hand balancing and handstands. Yeah, for some reason, I guess it's you know historically what you maybe genetically what you're what you're best for, and then what you end up training in a lot, and then maybe what you win awards in, and where the money goes, and all of that. What what, what happened in the culture that was so I don't know pred predicated to. Uh, you know, Ivan, what are you walk on hands for? What are you walk on feet for? <laughs> walk on hands. Hands are there too. <laughs> we have a um, we have a Russian uh, teeterboard team, and it's interesting. Uh, thinking it's a seesaw. About Let's that, call it what it is. It's a seesaw. <laughs> it's a teeterboard. Um, it's an acrobatic seesaw. You're right, but it is very much um, like that. If you're not going into something that's academic, you can go into something acrobatic, and um, you know the the Russian uh, way was very much train really, really hard and Mongolian too, um, train really, really hard um, in those significant formative 
physical years and then get to such a high level and um, the, the Chinese do it as well. Yeah. We've got a Chinese hand balancer. So it's the same thing coming from those really traditional areas of the world where they've done intense training yeah. from such a young age and then it, and you get to such a high level that it's, um, you know, that it ends up in a circus. Because you, <laughs> you see these photos of, of and certainly I, I knew uh, – uh, I'll do inverted commas. I knew a gymnast, um, and she was a coach, and she would tell me about the stretching they would have to do on these little kids. Yeah, it's and intense. for people who don't know what's going on, it can they might kind of freak out. It's like, why are mm. you bending that child in that way? Sure. Did you have to do all that kind of stuff as well? Did a little bit of that. Um, yeah, in ballet, it's uh, it's not so intense. Um, once you start into the stretching and everything for for the gymnastics, like I was training for the two thousand Olympic Games in that kind of squad down at the Victorian Institute of Sport. So, yeah, we had that kind of thing going so on, on a, and we never thought it was abnormal. We were, yeah, my twin sister and I, we were, um, yeah, we were headed in that batch of gymnasts, I guess you could say for that. We were like 16 in 2000. So that's what we were training towards originally. And, um, yeah, you do, you get the extreme stretching and you don't think it's all that, you know, extreme then because you're like, well, it's necessary and it's, it's step by step. It's never over the top, but yeah. It's what get it's what gets you to the extreme flexibility that we all have now. So naturally, for, si- for sixteen uh, going to the two thousand Olympics, you kind of like if I don't hit this one, then maybe maybe Athens, and then yeah, I'll this be, is the thing. It's very uh, then I'll be for, up against ten year olds. <laughs> for for women especially, the men gymnasts can sort of go on until their early thirties and they get stronger with age, right? But yeah. for the women, it's definitely you. You have to sort of be lucky when you're born and how what time you peak in your gymnastics career and stuff. So, I was um, I was finished up with elite by then, but I was still training gymnastics. And I I went with my sister and we actually went to Sydney and and saw the team and a lot of our friends in the qualifying round and stuff. Wow, so, yeah, that's pretty special. Wow, that would have been. Mm. Was it tough though? Um, at what point did did, I mean, if that's your focus, if you're a kid being told by your coach and your parents, like, this is it, you, you're in the short, you're in the running, you're at the Victoria Institute of Sport. Yeah. And then when it doesn't happen, like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it was interesting for me. Um, I left the program around 13 or 14 and, um, it became clear that I wanted to do lots of creative things and I, but I also still really had a heart for the gymnastics and I, I kept going for a long time and I went and did things at the national level. So I still competed for another five years, you know, the Australian championships and things like that. And I did get a chance to travel a little bit, but it was, yeah, of course it's tough when you, for me, I think I formed that dream in my mind from about the age of 10 or 11. And then, so, you know, for four full years of, of thinking one thing that was going to go one way and, but knowing, always knowing that it's a very, it's a very tough thing. There's six girls, you know, that can make that team for Australia yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And, and that was when, you know, um, I did see older gymnasts than myself, you know, getting scouted for, you know, Cirque du Soleil shows and stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of what opened my eyes to, to other careers and okay. things from it. So. And at, did, at what point, it sounds like you, you and your sister had a fairly parallel uh, athletic movement did at what point did you go in different directions did they split well um well rachel stayed in the the program a little bit longer than mine uh, than i did and then she she got very close actually to making those 2000 games um so we'd kind of split from that point um and then uh it was we did the audition for sector soleil together um just the year after she was kind of finishing her gymnastics 
Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, I can still do everything. I'll come back to it or whatever. I'm a little bit raw, but I'll, I'd love to be part of it. And we both got onto the database and mm. everything. So again, we were kind of like looking like we were going to parallel, but then she got a contract to go um, into Vegas. So uh, they split again, you know. So that's that's how our adult lives as wow. twins has kind of been. And But I think it's fantastic that, you know, 10 years later, almost to the day was when I joined Cooza as well. So we've both, we've both ended up doing circus eventually with our, with our adult lives. So cool. where in Melbourne, do, do, at what point do you tell your folks, yeah, you know, all this time and money you've been spending <laughs> on ballet and gymnastics, I think I want to do circus now. <laughs> how, how did that come at me? Well, I guess I was old enough for it to be on, on my hip pocket by the yeah. time I went back to it. Okay. But um, I, I like to think of it as actually honoring all of that time and yeah. the money that they spent and the, the hours that they drove me into the gym and the halfway houses that we, you know, that we rented to be able to keep up all those hours of training and they would come down to, um, you know, closer to the gym and stay with us over Wednesdays and Thursday nights and then, you know, and drive us back and the weekends were ours. But, you know, like it was um, a crazy amount of investment. So I, I like to think that it's honouring that. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it was a little bit, it was a little bit tough because, you um, you know, my life could have gone in many different directions. I've, I've studied um, in nutrition and dietetics at university. Um, I've done fashion design. I've done music. I've done all of the gymnastics and everything. But then um, performing, this is what I love to do. Right. Using all of that to connect with an audience and have it. The, the same thing that I fell in love with when you're doing ballet, when it's something that's so technical, but then when your body and your heart and spirit feels alive doing it, then it's so much more fun to share that with people. So I wanted to do that again. And so, um, yeah, when came, was the came first back time, to full-time training. And when was the first time that happened? Because I, I remember the first time I stood on stage and I was still just a kid. Mm. I remember the first time I stood on stage and went, oh, oh, I like this. Wow. I'll do this again. That's interesting. I um, A lot of people say that as performers. I don't ever feel like there was one moment that I felt like, you know, like comedians or whatever really enjoy the, the have get pleasure out of making other people laugh or something. For me, it was like I never felt like I was showing off. Whenever I did gymnastics, I knew that I was good at it and I loved it and people would make a fuss, but I never felt like I was being anything other than myself. So that's what I, that's what I loved about it and I just thought, great, I, I love the way I feel when I'm doing this and I love that other people get something out of it. So... That started super young, five or six years old. Is it like uh, the the sports movies that we see when the coach is not just a coach, the coach also has life advice? <laughs> Some of the best ones, yes. Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. My most memorable coaching uh, relationships have been like older brothers and like second mums. You're right. To me, yeah. Because I think at this point, once you get to this level, it it becomes about that, having your actual life in check and really knowing where you're heart is and your priorities are and because you've got to have all that in order otherwise you can't do what we do because the physical will be one side of thing yeah but any lapse in concentration or any kind of um you know got, haven't got my head yeah in the you know in, in the game in, in the game mm. and but that that's where that you know i guess that separates coaches as well oh absolutely yeah and that's why i say like all, the we can all sit down ones. and watch a video review of what you've done mm -hmm. but only the right coach will be able to help you stop worrying about something yeah. that's happening next week yeah and it's also you know and knowing what's best for you and 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 treating the gymnast or treating the acrobat as as a person as a human being and understanding you know how to get the best out of someone is always you know is always what makes a coach a brilliant coach um 
yeah, but having that connection with with a person and it not just being advice because you can, you know, when you give advice to someone, you know it's the right advice, but they don't hear it from you necessarily. Yeah. You know, you have, it has to be that right person for, for me to hear it okay. as well. Yeah. So when when you're then, where do you study circus in Australia? Because you hear, I've got friends who've gone over to Paris. What's that really fancy one? Um, the one in France. I can't oh, remember the name of it. There's a few actually. Oh, there's a really fancy one. Steve O went. No, he went to Barnum and Bailey. Um, there's another one. Oh, she's um she does play school now. Okay. She hosts. She's a play school host. Good old play and school. she went to this that like like the mega clown school in. Uh, oh, um, Lecoq. That's him. Yeah. 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 She yeah, went yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some. Well, in Europe, of course, there's a much more prestigious um, history in yeah. circus in general, but um, no, where where I trained was the National Institute of Circus Arts in Melbourne. Um, and that was, you know, a collaboration from about, it was a year after I was born. Um, so 30 odd years now where they've been collaborating with, um, Chinese coaches and acrobats and, um, a small, uh, group of, um, kind of really passionate coaches and acrobats up, um, in the North of Victoria. And they came down and decided they wanted to make an actual, an institute. Um, and it's been growing for all that time. And, um, yeah, now they do three-year degrees associated with Swinburne University and, yeah, it's all it's all going along. And then they've got this great relationship with Cirque du Soleil too. So that's kind of the hub. That's where you go to, to get the degree. Uh-huh. Um, and there's other places you can train and, and people also train, you know, privately with their own specialty coaches and things like that. But, yeah. Because we know, we know the feeling that we get when we hear a great singer who's very well trained hit mm. the fantastic key change and hit that massive note that only a really trained singer can do. We know the feeling we get when we hear a, a fantastic piano player pull off that, you know, remarkable Rachmaninoff or whatever. Yeah. W- what is it that people, what is it that you're aiming to get out of an audience when you're in the circus arts? I think two things. One is the emotion. One is the, the fact that, um, you know, there's a story, there's something to be communicated without words. You're doing it physically. So it's very similar to going to the Australian Ballet or something like that and seeing something very moving. Um, or if you're listening to like an operatic song that's not in your language, right? You don't know the meaning of the words. You're They're actually... pretty much all are. And the English ones aren't very good. The ones, I, hate going to opera. I don't like going to opera in English. I don't because it exactly. sounds so stupid. You're like, what? I can listen to the radio if I want to hear uh, yeah. songs in English. Yeah, it, it's... It's an art form that is got to, it has to transcend language, but the language has to be mm-hmm. still communicated with your body um, and with the emotion of, of your face and the eyes and, and all of this. So I think that, you know, all of the emotions, like with what Kuza does, there's so much surprise, there's so much thrill, there's so much that's kind of on the edge of your seat, just exciting. I, I think you found that when you're in Sydney, like just... <laughs> That's the, the first time I saw the show is just killer. Like, wow. Um, so I find it really links in with the music, the live music as well. So I, just that, um, I guess it, it just touches people in a different way and it's beyond words. So if you can, if you can get that. Yeah. For me, what I do in the teeterboard, I love the surprise. I hear the gasps when I'm in the middle of the air before I've even landed the trick. And that's when I know that they're watching and they're enjoying and it's just like that came out of nowhere kind of feeling. So okay. the same thing, like when you're really happily listening to a nice song but then you don't expect the key change and mm. then it goes to this place, you're like, what? Mm. The same kind of thing. Uh, I prefer that if you focused on the audience's reaction after you've landed safely. 
No, it's good. I'm already thinking about it when I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) That you've got enough time to process all of that stuff while you're in the midair. That's when I know I've done it really well. I, I really I enjoy that feeling like I'm flying up and I'm about to land on, you know, the hands of, of two guys that are about to catch me and I can already smile. I know that I've done it technically perfectly and then just I'm going to land and you hear the gasps in the audience. It's like it's super cool. You almost want to laugh with people and just be like, I know, right? How cool is that? Like that's how fun it is. <laughs> so so to, to be swept up in and, and Cirque du Soleil, I'm – Whoever hasn't seen the show, I would recommend going to see a Cirque show. It's it's at the same time reinvented circus f- completely around the world, reinvented what audiences expect yeah. from what they see in a tent. Yeah, uh, sure. It's not like when you used to just kind of be able to roll up and, you know, I remember I'm old enough that I remember seeing here in Brisbane seeing um, – seeing circuses with kind of sad animals and, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, we and don't the, do animals, that's for no, sure. No, 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 no. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, that, which, is, which is great. There's nothing sadder than seeing a, an elephant. Except just, the naughty dog. Oh, the naughty dog's kind of fun, though. <laughs> He's heaps of fun. The uh, naughty dog's fun. Well, it's okay with the naughty dog. Uh, <laughs> but um, when you are at the, the circus school, at the circus art school and in Victoria, surely the, the idea of joining Cirque du Soleil is like, well, that, that's it. And then there's levels of then being in, in circuit, I'm, I'm guessing, um, yes. with certain particular shows that are uh, well, the, same as any career, the, the I permanent guess, yeah. ones being the ones that, you know, you go for because yeah. where else in the world are you going to be able to earn a living um, yeah, doing absolutely. circus arts? Um, yeah, if you're on your own, if you're just presenting your own singular act or something like that, then it's a completely different type of security, right? Um, but Cirque du Soleil is amazing that it's offering that to to artists and, um, you know, they have so many touring shows. For me, the travel aspect of my job is incredible. I, I love that, it, you know, we're changing every, you know, six, seven or 12 weeks or depending on the cities, but I love moving around like that. I love the change of pace. I love seeing the world. I have loved seeing the world. So that's been incredible. Um, yeah, but it's really... Um, it's the same as any career, I suppose, you know, when you, when you get into what you love doing and then you want to keep moving forward and you mm. want to keep upping your responsibilities and you want to keep growing and all of that. But I think there's definitely a beautiful moment where you first get to be a part of this company that has, has this heritage, has this great reputation for everything culturally that it's doing. And then you feel that you've, you've made it in a way. That what you was could, the audition you know, like? Um, the audition is uh, is really interesting. Did you I did do it, it here a long in time. Yeah, I did it in Melbourne a long time ago. Um, it's uh, <laughs> they're aiming to pull out everything of you artistically, so they can you know they can get you to you know show strength elements and climb a rope and do push ups or cutwheels or you know lots of stuff that handstands and that you that you know physically you're able to do but then you know when you're at the top of that rope you know okay sing us a song you know like it's like they'll bring out things that you're maybe not so comfortable with because they're, they're trying to get the acrobat to transition to artist um, which is what they train in in Montreal and the headquarters as well so they do that way more intensely but in the audition they're they're seeing how open people are to connecting with an audience to then being pushed out of their comfort zone and 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 do things that are you know outside of themselves so yeah it's a very intense day but they cull through the day and see what they like. And oh, so it's like a, like an audition process that I guess I did a show in Australia called Australian Idol where we just did 
culling days where we'd go from a thousand exactly. people down to a hundred, then we'd go from a hundred down to mm-hmm. to twenty, and then maybe y'all can come back tomorrow, and then we go can t- twenty down to five. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like you're making the next call, but mm. the call is happening within the hours of the day. So yeah, yeah. Um, I remember there was about forty five people specifically doing our audition. There's usually way more now because this was many years ago. Um, so it was a, a, a bit newer to Melbourne, but um, had you and your sister put an act together? Three of us to, by the end of the day, and you, your sister being one of them. Mm-hmm. So yep. had you and your sister put an act together? Were they going? Ah, oh, great twins, awesome. No, we hadn't because uh, she'd been training the elite gymnastics at the VIS, and I'd um, I was doing national stream, so we were we were kind of apart at that point. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, we both came and did the audition and stuff. So. Um, yeah, we both had to go through the same things. It was, yeah, it was a huge privilege to, to both be there at the end of the day. One other person out of that many people, like it was, it was mm. super surprising, but yeah. And so from cool. there you're, they, they go, great, well, you've got it. And what's the, what's the process Yeah, then? like it's, like I said, like step one is you get through that whole day and then you're on the database. Uh-huh. So they know who you are. Mm-hmm. It's essentially that. And then, you know, it's, the onus is on you to, to send them, you know, your videos, to, to update them with your skills, what you're interested in yeah. and um, start the conversation of what shows you'd be interested in joining. Do you have so, to get yourself to Montreal? Um, you would be called to Montreal if okay. they were interested in you. I think that's, uh-huh. yeah, that would be more the way it happens. And is that the first step before you go into a show? Um, yeah. If you were up for a contract, uh, then um, I actually personally went straight to Cusa. It was straight to Paris, 10 days, integrate, bang, 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 bang. It was heaps of fun. Um, but it's not that way for everybody. That was a necessity at that point. Um, but yeah, they will um, usually have a, a month or two transition and training in the role. And, and so in Montreal, yeah. there's like some massive academy. <laughs> oh, it's incredible! I got to see it in January. Um, it, it's uh, the huge headquarters of Cirque du Soleil, and it's everything. It's the huge costume department. It's where everything is done um, conceptually, and yeah, rehearsal spaces and new shows developed. Everything. It's it's one of the the most amazing things I've ever seen. Is, there a, is there a school there, like the um, Circus Art School in Victoria? As no, well? uh, yes, in Montreal. They're there affiliated is, with the university. Uh, it's not. No, it's not. Um, it's not part of headquarters. No, okay. There is a no, but there is a circus school in Montreal wow. for sure. So. Yeah. They're, they're, not, they're like the only game in town. Is there another like a rival? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Company up against Cirque? Um, 
I don't think there's anything that's that's equivalent. No. But in terms of the longevity of the company and the the type the amounts of shows that we do and everything, but um, yeah, of course, there's been offshoots and there's definitely, um, you know, when Rachel, my sister, and I were sort of observing what's going on in the circus arts world down in Melbourne and even in Sydney, seeing the way that it's changed and grown. Um, you see things and people start to use Cirque or Cirque du Soleil. You know, they, they ask for a Cirque du Soleil type act. Uh -huh. And I always think that's great. You know, when something's become a, like an adjective <laughs> that you want something that's like that, it's, you know, it's really hit home for some people. So that's cool to have that comparison. Um, for me, I'm always going to feel privileged that I'm part of the best circus company in the entire world. I'm just mm, yeah. thrilled. Argu but arguably. It's great that other... other other uh, smaller um, companies have, have grown up now and have, have taken well, you, on you, things and inspired from it. You guys are setting the standard. So. You, you, what people expect. That's what people expect when they go yeah, see... Yeah, no pressure. No, 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 but when people go see circus, that's what they expect. They expect mm -hmm. that level. Maybe not every night's Wheel of Death, but, you know, every night, you know, they're looking for that level of... Yeah. At the, at the very least. Uh, there's a thing that I noticed when I saw the show, Yakuza show the other night, um, that every act had that element of... Oh, that's really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're okay. Everything, even some of the, the clown stuff, even some of the clown stuff was was would look really, really yeah. frightening. Uh, and I guess you know that's when what audiences have come to expect because that, yeah. for me, that's that emotional thing we were talking about before. That emotional shift is like, would I be able to do that? I'm certainly not going to be able to bend in that way. I don't know what it's possibly. Some people don't know what yeah. it's like to touch their toes. Sure. Uh, let alone be as bendy as someone like yourself is. So they can't really relate on that end. But they all know I'm afraid of falling off things that high. Sure. And that's frightening to me. Yeah. And when they see somebody not fall, it's like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about all of the all of the traditional acts are really based around those human elements mm. that are like, you know, like a high wire that is so ridiculously high and, and the speed that they're walking on it and running and skipping and doing all this stuff, the wheel of death, you know, all this kind of thing. The Chinese chair is going so high. Um, I jump off a tower, land on a, a big massive tarpaulin supported by 12 other guys and, you know, like for an acrobat, I'm not even like super thrilled about being high up, but I love doing that because again, it's the reaction that is there from the audience and stuff. And, um, but I think it's really cool because some shows, um, doesn't matter what style, some shows really get to you just because, yeah, you can appreciate, like I would for, for music. I'm a massive music lover. And so I do like to go and hear someone sing in a way that I know I can't quite sing or play an instrument in a way that I'll never be able to master. But that level of mastery is so inspiring. And then when you mix that with the bravery that you see, because you just, you know that there's nothing technical stopping that person from just like they're overcoming their fear in that moment right in front of you. And that's like, that's the live thing that is super inspiring to one, be a part of, but to, to witness it, I think it must be incredible. And that's, that's the other thing in this age of, um, I mean, at my, I live here in Brisbane with my brother and sister-in-law. Uh, they have a telly that's half the size of this wall. All right. And we can sit there and watch pretty much when you look yep. at the aspect ratio, cinema quality pictures, yeah in our house so we can watch watch films in pretty much a very similar environment mm -hmm. than you used to have to you can only get when you went to the went to the yeah, movie theater yeah, right yeah exactly but what you get when you're Being between the, the tower of people 
and the tarpaulin and you hear the audience gasping, yeah. they're gasping because they're experiencing something that they'll never be able to experience in their home or be able to download or, you know. Ever you again, it's live theatre. It's yeah, exactly it. You can't bootleg yeah. that. You know, no. you, can't, you can't buy a knockoff version of that on no. the street. Like in just the same way that 2,500 people sitting there in an audience in a big top watching you do something that you absolutely trained all your life to be able to do and you love doing is thrilling for me, then how do you replicate that for someone who's in that seat? They're never going to see that in that exact moment in that way again. Yeah. So you can't, there's no price on that. I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> so your sister, your sister went off to Vegas straight away? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a while ago now. Um, she went, no, sorry, she did go to Montreal okay. um, and did training for a few months and then um, was integrated into, yeah. Which show? Into O at the Bellagio Hotel. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Incredible. So she was a flyer there too. I've a flyer. Mm, yeah. Is that what other nicknames are, do people have within? You're a flyer or you're a lifter? <laughs> you're a flyer or a catcher. You're a it's flyer the, or yeah, a catcher. Yeah, to keep it simple. You're either catching someone or you're flying and being caught. Right. Yeah. I... Uh, when I had I worked I lived in Los Angeles for a while and um, when I worked over there I went to the Bellagio to go and do the interviews for when the Cirque film came out. Ah yes, yeah. That's and we went backstage and we saw the theater is incredible. The the difference between something mobile that you are restricted to, yeah, in that things that are there for. Um, you know, not only life production, built. but also safety and also audience mm. experience are limited to the things that you can pack up and put on a truck sure, and, and possibly fly or go on a ship. Yep. I, I don't, I yeah, don't know exactly. how you'll get it from country to country. Yeah. Uh, both, yet yeah. when you can go to the Bellagio and say, we're going to be here for 20 years, <laughs> all right, and we're going to be doing two shows a night yeah. and you're going to sell out 3,000 seats at however many hundred bucks a ticket, you know, that's when you can go, we'll just put a a 400-metre swimming pool in the middle of the <laughs> theatre. Um, and, like, I, I went, like, the whole backstage thing is rigged up with... Yeah, it's have incredible. you been there? Have you seen It's the, an incredible yeah, show, like, yeah. Yeah, whole, I did. I visited and I watched it two or three times. I was very lucky to do that. It was... It's just the most incredible setup I've ever seen. It's and I, I, millions of dollars. I remember this because I, I interviewed uh, one of the guys who does the high dive. Ah, yeah. At the end... He is the Australian the, guy. Or he's no? the Australian guy. Steve. He, Steve is the former. <laughs> uh, Steve is the former mascot for this city's basketball team. He used to be the Silver Bullet for the Brisbane. I did not Bullets. know that about him. Yeah, back in I'm talking like back in the late '80s, early '90s. Good times. Yeah, he was a Silver Bullet. That means he would run around in a lycra costume, and you know at the basketball where they jump on the mini tramp and do all the the flips and stuff and then dunk. Oh yeah. And he had he had this big hat that was like a bullet because it's the Brisbane Bullets is their basketball team. Yep. And the thing he was telling me, he's he does the high dive at the very end, and it's colossal. It's got to be 25, 30 metres. It's, yeah, it's just insane. bonkers. I think it's like 100-something feet. It's, it's the number that I Americans can't remember. Wow it just at. was enough to make me, yeah. He's in the air a long time, and he said the wildest thing about it is, and he does it every, I think how many times, how many times, how many shows a day. He does it every day. Yeah. Um, he said he's in the air so long. The, I asked him what's the wildest thing about doing it. He goes, I'm in the air so long. When I dive, the droplets of water that come off my body travel at the same speed as me. So it, it's almost like that bullet scene in The Matrix because yeah. he's, he's in the air just falling, falling, falling with all this water moving at exactly the same speed as him. So he's surrounded by all this water that's 
moving at the same speed. That's oh, unreal. Totally. He's in I the love that he had long. time to notice that. That's well, good. These are the things you think of, I guess, totally. when you've got four seconds a day where you're just, you know, travelling at terminal velocity into a pool. <laughs> it's great. It's not dissimilar to what we're doing when we jump off that tower. It's, um, it's, it's interesting the way your mind goes. Yeah, what you what you notice, the lighting around the big top, the people, the gasps, the, you know, what your costume's doing, um, it can be anything, you know. How do you focus, though, before these moments? I, um, because not everyone's, I, learned, not, I learned something from gymnastics. I, yeah, because that's I what found. I want to ask, because not everybody's going to be tumbling or, or being a flyer, as you are, <laughs> but everyone's going to be in a moment where they're going, I'm going to need the steel of my mind of yeah. the thing that I saw that lady do last night at the <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. What do you do? What did you learn from gymnastics? I learned that um, not to switch your mind off because it's not about going vacant, but there is something to say about not trying to do what you're trying to do. So when you're trying to convince yourself that I need to be focused, thinking about trying to focus is what distracts you from actually being focused. It's like trying to be present. You can't, you're either it or you're not, you know, you're either present or you're not. So, um, yeah, stilling your mind, but also for me, I look out and I, I notice the audience because if I stop and I'm up there and I think about the eight or nine metres that I'm about to fall off and, you know, like if I start thinking about what I'm actually about to do, your rational brain kicks in and tells you, stupid idea, Laura, like what? So... I don't focus on focusing. I, I think about what I'm about to do, of course. I know the technique. I trust my muscle memory, which is definitely what I learned from gymnastics. And I think, you know, that gives me the confidence to know that this will go well. And, and I think about how it's going to be for the audience when they see it. Wow. And it, it's almost <laughs> like, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of a brain trick, but it's like with all of that, thinking about the other people that are watching... You don't have time to be scared, kind of thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to <laughs> picture how I might be able to put that into my own experience, and that might be if I snow when I'm snowboarding. Mm -hmm. If I think too much about how I'm turning, yeah, or if I'm surfing and I'm thinking about my turns, I'll fall. Precisely. Particularly if I'm going fast. Yeah. If I think about it, I'll fall. Or if I'm cycling, if I'm doing a fast descent, right. all right? It's like in table tennis when they tell you don't look at the net or don't look at the ball. Look where you're hitting it. Right. To keep your eyes above the net or like in tennis. Uh-huh. Keep your eye on the actual opponent where you're going to hit the ball. And trust in your body's ability yeah. to have that memory of it knows, ex I know exactly what to do. My body knows exactly yeah. what to do. It's your in body that. will get you from A to B, but you, if you're not looking at B, where, where are you going to go? <laughs> But I did not, what I did notice is that when I, when I was snowboarding, when I listened to music, uh, I would snowboard far, far better because yeah. my conscious mind was distracted enough mm -hmm. that the unconscious things that, I mean, I've been able to, being, able to keep balance since I was born, right? But for some reason, if I start thinking about keeping balance, I fall over. Exactly. It's like if I tell you you're breathing now, suddenly the next 10 breaths that you have, you're going, actually yeah. having to consciously yeah. breathe in and I've got to breathe out. Oh, shit, I've got to breathe in again. You know, yeah, it's not until exactly. you start thinking about it. Yeah. So, yeah, so you have to trust what's unconscious in your body and what's, what's conscious. But you and, have to get to that point. And you need to know what you need. To, it's a choice of what to be conscious of. But that's also in your training, getting mm -hmm. your training to a point. Like I'm sure when you learn a new 
part of the routine. Yeah, I'm learning a new jump and teeter board at the moment. How, very interesting how much training has to go to the point where you go, I know that I could do this without thinking about it? Again, it's, a, it's like a proof to your body that the muscle memory is going to be enough. So there is, there's definitely a learning curve and there's a t- an amount of jumps that you – and then there's a specific number of times that you should probably do that jump before you know mm-hmm. that you can trust it. Um, there's always a bit of a science to it, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's a little bit like wax on, wax off, really. It's like you've got to make, uh, you know, two or, thi- two or three specific technique things really important and you've got to train your body to do those. And then as soon as you start doing those, you realize what your body would prefer to do <laughs> or your, what your body actually does when you're trying to focus on doing these three things. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes like a pruning mm-hmm. your mind kind of process. Um, and the like the neurological pathways and your muscle, exactly what it's doing, you need to, you know, or cutting out sound and focusing a, a speaker or something. It's mm-hmm. like that. It's, you, it's, it's a tuning kind of a thing. Um, yeah, so for the moment, um, you're taking away rather than, like, you're, you're doing it and you're going, oh, okay, cool. Well, yeah, my muscles want to do this or my body would prefer to do that. Right. Rather than going, don't do that, you're going, that's cool, go again, still do the same thing. And it's like a lot of reiteration of the three important technical mm-hmm. things. But if you don't do that, it's the same with musicianship or anything. It's like, you know, you don't get to off pieces by just not even knowing how to do scales when you're mm. six, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. So Rachmaninoff is like, the, just for folks who haven't heard it, uh, it's the super, super, duper, duper hard one. composer. Very hard, very, very, very hard piano. Yeah. Uh, what about when you're learning? And I would remember this from, um, as a musician before I got to a point where I wasn't able to write songs, so I was always just going to be a hired gun. So I was good mm-hmm. on stage and I was a good player, but I couldn't write very well. What did you play? I'm uh, bass player. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, hang on. Did you want to come back in? Yeah. Come on in. Come on in. Uh, but I also, so if I was playing, uh, if I was trying to learn a particular piece, uh, that or was on piano, if I'm trying to learn a particular piece, when I was first learning it, if I made a mistake on the first pass that mistake would repeat and it was so hard to to get, get that it. out of the neural pathway because it's almost like your brain wants to remember just the first time you do it and just repeat that again and again. Do you find that with your, your whole body? Um, I, I would say that that's how, that's how we're programmed a little bit. Yeah. You know, we're, um, whether it's sight or whether it's our listening, um, we're kind of, we're looking for patterns. Yeah. Always. So that, as long as you know how to make that work in your favour. That's mm. exactly why we do the repetition. That's exactly why we create the pattern and we create the correct. Um, that's why bad technique is difficult to correct. Mm. So when you're starting from scratch with a new skill, then you need to get that correct pathway in as much as possible. And then, um, yeah, the the thing that I always admired about other um, circus artists and, and people, things that I saw happen on stage or in gymnastics competitions even, when someone has, you know, a fall on beam or something like that and they have to, like on their mount, on the first thing when they get onto the beam and they fall off and then they have to get back up and do another minute and a half worth of skills, like the the mental strength to be able to block that out and forget that that just happened, you know, at the world trials or something that mm. they were really invested in yeah. and, and keep going and they'll nail everything else after that. Like I always admired that mental strength so much and kind of is one of those things that you can't just observe and learn. You really have to go through that journey your own, like in your own way. 
you sort of have to have it happen to you and know what it's like to keep going. What do you get out of finding this state of mind, whether that be the state of before you perform the jump or even those few seconds or not even <laughs> the parts of seconds that you're in the air for? Mm-hmm. A lot of people wouldn't have that experience once a year, all right, to yeah. have to have that. What do you get out of having a life where you, you do that every day? What do you notice about yourself that you don't, don't, don't see in others? It's a huge privilege. Um, it's very humbling because it's not just about the pressure of I need to perform because I want the show to be good for this audience. And it's not like a gymnastics competition where it's a personal vendetta to <laughs> get this or that medal if I do or don't fall on my trick. Um, it's very similar to what I see in the way that my mind's changed with travel. When you get outside of Australia or when you get outside of yourself, it's kind of the same thing. Um, you know, the, you can tell in the switch in your perspective when you see things that you haven't encountered before, when you have more compassion, when you have more understanding of how lucky you are with certain things. I try to remind myself, I mean, that's why I count the number of shows, right? That's why I, some people wouldn't know what show number that they're up to. That would maybe count in, in years of doing the show, and I do as well. But I like to remember the, the numbers just because I like to think... Um, my mum used to tell me this thing about, you know, you're only as good as your last performance. Oh, it's we a have that thing. She was a ballet dancer. Oh, yeah. You're only as good as and your last gig. last gig, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but that's not like in a, oh, gosh, I've got to keep up my reputation type thing. That's actually, for me... It's a, wow, how lucky am I? 900 times I've got to put this makeup on. I've got to put this costume on. I get to wear this badge proudly, you know, and, and perform this show and do what I love. Not everyone gets to do that in their life. And so that is already inside of a huge privilege. Um, so when you think of it that way, you can't really, I don't know, that just, it takes over everything for me. Yeah. In this age... I mean, the time of running away to join the circus was, you know, that that phrase came along at a time when we were still on postal mail or telegraph even. And so you were... Oh, you saw my phone. (laughs) I'll get to that. (laughs) We're now in an age where we can remain connected in ways that our parents never, ever were to people that we knew when we were kids, right? As you see other people's lives who aren't as a part of this incredibly you know, extravagant um, touring company of Cirque du Soleil and you see people you grew up with outside of, you know, I guess, you know, reliving a a life that the majority of the population lead with mortgages and wives and kids and houses. Mm. Do you find yourself, is it easy? Is it easy to keep in touch with people or do you find yourself, I just kind of associate with other people who know this life that I live? It's such an interesting difference. Obviously, you're going to connect with people that are on tour in a way that you can never hope to be understood by someone who has such a different life from you, even in my own family. You know, I've got um, a niece and a nephew and another niece now. And, you know, like just um, I don't see it as being any smaller a life to have give birth to another human being and have and look after them and have a husband or a wife and a family and a mortgage mm. and all of this. I don't see it uh any lesser anymore. I see it very equal in now. I just go, wow, it's so different to what I'm expected to do. Um, and I just, I think that everyone carries their responsibility however they carry it. Um, 
but you know the the discussions that come out of working for for a company that is discussed all the time is is one thing to get used to but it's no different to someone who has uncles and aunts and neighbors and friends and a community that are talking just as much about their lives yeah. you know what i mean like so it's a different community it's a contrast of communities but um yeah you you can always explain it to someone you can say i do 8 to 10 shows a week i do this i do that can you really explain what it's like when like for example when i first went to paris i had a very dear friend of my my father um and we knew that he was you know nearly about to pass away from some cancer and you know i had great chats with him he was almost like a almost like a grandfather figure to me and he passed away maybe two or three weeks into the gig and i was really hoping to get a postcard from paris back to him and i'd bought it and i'd written it and i hadn't sent it yet because i was a bit like all right it's it's enough for me to just go down to the grocery store and practice my french and just get food i don't know about who am i going to take with me to a post office right now and i hadn't sent it and it didn't get sent and i got the phone call or not phone call i, I read an email from my mum saying that he'd passed before a two show day yeah <laughs> about 12 minutes before the first show i read oh. the email and i thought to myself yeah this is what this is what it's like to do this job this is what and no less for everybody else would go through something similar yeah. in whatever happens to them in life and they have to get on the radio and present or they have to get up in front of live tv and present or they have to you know deliver the news that night or whatever it is but that's when i really became present to like you know waving and doing bows at the end of those two shows through tears and and through every emotion that i experienced trying to do those shows and physically do what i was doing that's when i got okay i think i understand who these people are that this company that i've just joined mm. everybody is doing that everybody is making themselves be bigger than something that would otherwise they would prefer to go and curl up with a hot water bottle and sleep yeah. the afternoon away. Oh, don't Over. worry. You know I, what I mean? So that's... I haven't collected the whole I set. I haven't global. collected the whole set, but I've seen plenty of Cirque shows by now. So yeah. I was lucky living in Los Angeles to get to pop over to Vegas and see them. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that is the experience that you get as an audience member, is that cool. you get that, that this is, the whole thing is, is bigger than, it's such a such a combined effort of everyone yeah. involved, uh, from the technical directors uh, all the way through to the performers to the people totally. that... The people Make in a black hydraulic stage the size of an Olympic swimming pool flip upside down while there's a fight scene with 150 people on it. Car, I think that was the Car, one. Oh absolutely. my goodness! Yeah, my, it blew some... my mind. Uh, you before uh, people do interviews, they generally just go, oh, "Let me just check, make sure my phone's off." Okay, and so you whipped your phone out and you're <laughs> rolling a Nokia. Uh, Telstra Cruise. A Telstra Brilliant. Cruise. It's a. It's essentially a brick phone. Why do you? It's the you... closest thing to that old blue Nokia that I used to have. Yeah. Why? Why live a life without a smartphone? <laughs> That's a good question. One I never thought I'd be asked. Um, and I only just got that when I came back to Melbourne recently. I went about a year and a half without a cell phone altogether. Actually, it was partly. Um, I'd had this phone for two years, and then I lost it a couple of months into being in Paris. Um, and yeah, I lost a few photos and I lost a few things that I obviously will never get back again. Um, but it wasn't a smartphone, even that one. And I realized, and even a few months later when I bought my first iPad and, you know, now I take photos and I saw things and, you know, put all my travel documentation 
you know, on an external hard drive. But I realized that I never liked that thing where people are sitting at a table and there's another human being that you can be connecting with. And instead of doing that, they're on Facebook on their phone or they're tweeting and nothing against, you know, Twitter, but just when you've got the option to talk to a human being or be on a smartphone doing something, just really always wanted people to prefer to connect. Um, and so I didn't miss it. And I just found that, you know, um, there's other ways to get around it. And yeah, I, I also nearly lost my iPad and I had this horror come over me that it was like, I'm losing my life. My whole, you know, like I had about eight months worth of photographs and, you know, everything. And that was my, that was my computer. That was everything. You know, I didn't even have a computer at that point either. So I just, I didn't like that feeling that so much of my experience of life was inside a device that I could lose in a moment of, you know, in a lapse of concentration. And so I decided to get the hard drive and do all that and, and make sure my things that I really don't want to lose as memories are there or, you know, all my emails and uh, photographs emailed home or, or whatever it was, important things. I, I figured I wanted the important things in life in the hands of people. And so a phone just became sort of, okay, I'm going to get this phone because I'm in Melbourne and it's, you know, people want to text me and meet up and do this and my parents want to know if I'm able to do this this or that. So I just need a phone that texts and I just need a phone that, you know, answers and makes calls. So I kept it really simple. And I think that was something that, I think it's actually something that was always in my way of being, but Tua definitely brought that out of me as well. I was like, make it as simple as possible. And, you know, when you give your word to be somewhere, I'm not saying it's not good to have a phone, but I prefer it if someone texted me two minutes before the time they said they were going to be there to say, actually, I'm running 15 minutes late and I'm already there waiting for them. I'm like, oh, man, keep your word, you know. Like, you were 10 minutes early today. <laughs> I'm always early. It's a personal thing. <laughs> no, I, I, love I love it. Yeah. Because it on reminds time. me of... Being on time. Because I, I grew up here in Brisbane and mm -hmm. you would say on a Tuesday, okay, cool, so on Saturday I'll see you at 5 o'clock in town. Uh, we'll meet at the mall at the normal place. You got it. And people would be there. They'd just be there. Yeah. You just, there you would no get there. no way around it. So and then you'd yeah. just wait. Yep. And you wouldn't, <laughs> you just look at people. Like the idea that you'd have to wait in line now, like just imagine if you're listening, just try to imagine waiting in line without a phone to escape into. You just have to stand there. It's fantastic. For Ten minutes. Conversations that you can have in that time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do, you, do you notice walking through town, do you notice not having a phone? Do you see just how many people are staring down? Yeah, totally. And that was the one thing I realised when I didn't have a camera and I didn't have any of these things and I was walking around Amsterdam, Munich, um, I got my iPad in Vienna, so thank God, because I, I had amazing photographs to, to take in, in Vienna. But, like, I thought I, I better look at what I'm looking at right now because my brain is a supercomputer and it remembers freaking everything and, <laughs> you know, put it in the memory bank. Yeah. That's the original camera. So, yeah, you know. I see it I, when, I, you know, I see, I see Gigi on her phone. Come on in. Just come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. I'll let you go in a second. Um, I see my 12-year-old on her phone all the time, all the time. And she's a different person. She's a different person when she's yeah. kind of escaping into it. 
there, um, I was watching something the other day and I hope I get this quote right, but um, it was to do with where um, we're increasing convenience at the cost of attention. Uh. And that's what I think is when you have it, then it's something that can draw your attention. Yeah. And if you can't keep your attention on something, I mean, that's why, you know, like when you go to live theatre, traditionally when you went to opera, whenever you went to somewhere like that, I mean, there wasn't this problem of like, please turn your phones off and da-da-da, yeah. you know, like, or put them on silent, you know, you never had that kind of thing. But we all know like, you know, when the Australian Open is on or something, you know, when people, someone's about to surf the match and, you know, someone's, you know, ringtone <laughs> goes off, like just it cuts that attention. I think there's so many priceless moments in a show in live theatre, you wouldn't dream of having your phone on because it's like, you know, you want to be there and it, and it says something about us as a society. If that's a weird thing to not be able to concentrate, have something take our attention for two hours, that is that thrilling. Like it's, it's an interesting idea to me. And as, as well, particularly when you mentioned live theatre, uh, to have the collective attention or be a part of a collective that is, as a group reacting yep. to what is happening in front of you, is a, a particular experience that if you're not, if you're out of the room by checking into your phone, you're not tuned in with the vibration of the audience around you. This might sound a bit woo-woo, but no. I'm a firm believer in that uh, the, the size of a crowd, having been both on stage and off stage, being down in the crowd, when a performance is going on, the size and the vibe of the crowd definitely changes what happens on stage. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't always mat uh, matter so much the number of people in the room. It's their intent. It's where their yeah. attention is. Um, on us experiencing it with us, that's one of the joys of circus is being able yeah. to, and the beauty of the big top, I think, really, yeah. is that closeness to people. You're literally a metre and a half from the front row. You know, it's just like it's people have forgotten a little bit. And I think yeah. that's maybe why the show is so enjoyable yeah. like that because so many people give us that feedback of that was thrilling to connect in that way. And and as a team, the teeterboard team that I'm a part of, you know, the whole thing, it's 15 human beings making all these tricks happen and that doesn't happen unless we're all tuned in with each other. So, yeah, it's very cool. Now, I'll, bear in mind, I, I do like smartphones because they allowed people to hear this show. Yeah, <laughs> that's but always a win. I am about to. I'm about to actually get one of those app, one of those phone blocking programs that you can remotely control your kid's phone, and so I'm going to control her phone, but I'm also going to control my phone. I'm going to make sure my phone just bricks. I actually have a brick phone like yours, and when I'm on holidays, I tend to just swap the sim out of this one and put it in that one. Nice. So all it does is take phone calls. I'm all for technology when it serves. Yeah. When it serves a purpose, if it starts to take away. And yeah. I'm like, okay, it's the same as anything. You need to be disciplined. And maybe that's what I learned from my parents. That's what I learned from my upbringing in gymnastics is that anything that you can have a level of self-discipline on can be honed into something awesome. You've, I'll get out on this one. You've been around the world and I, I can't find my baby, but no, you've been around the world. You've seen the faces of many different cultures, many different people. Mm. Coming back to Australia. Mm. What do you notice about the country? I am really happy to see that the stereotype of Australians being very friendly is spot on. Like, I always knew that and I always hoped that it was as noticeable as I feel it is now. Um, and particularly Queenslanders, I have to say, everybody is talking about Brisbaneers, like, 
super friendly, super helpful, you know, compare, um, I could probably compare that to Canadians. And when I was in Vancouver, there was just everyone's help, happy to help you on the street and everything like that. So it's a wonderful um, thing to come back and just be like, cool, yeah, that wasn't just a thing that we thought highly of ourselves, you know, as, as a really friendly bunch. Um, definitely laid back. And, you know, I always notice in the crowds who laughs at what, where they laugh in the show or yeah. where um, where they decide to show respect as well, you know, and, and how they how and when they applaud. Um, it's been really nice and I have to say very moving to see Australians on their feet at the end of the show. That's, I kind of know how chill we can be and how much we can intend to convey respect, but, you know, it's like a rock concert. You just get up and you jump and you scream at the top of your lungs by the end of the gig if you really enjoyed it. And so when I see people standing up, at the end of Kuza, I'm like, yeah, cool. They got it. Awesome. <laughs> well, tonight's your 900th show, but there's going to be people there who've saved up so they can get their family that ticket. And yeah. it might be the only show they ever see, a yeah. Cirque. And so for them, it's it. their first show. Yeah, exactly. That's what motivates me. I love, I love the thought of that because I, when I count the shows, I think, yes, this is my privilege that I've got to do this amount of shows, but there's always going to be people that have never seen a Cirque show at all, which I think Kuzer is a very good, I don't know what your opinion is, but I think it's a very good introduction to the big top world and just Cirque du Soleil in general. I think it's awesome. Um, and they may, like you said, never be able to afford another ticket again, or, you know, they may not have been able to before. So... I know what it's like to have been well, in by that the time position, you tour so. again, their kids might be different ages, you know. It, it totally. Might be, but, yeah, it's a chance of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So yeah. that's what I think is really special and I always, yeah, I always try and stay present to that. Well, in, in our world, we say chookers before a big show. What do you say to each other? We don't say break a leg. None of us actually no. like that. Yeah, we don't like saying break a leg. Um, it's got nothing yeah, to do with actual human legs. We oh. say bon spectac. We say... Uh, bon spectac. Bon spectac, exactly. We say um, have a good show, have a good one, rock it out, whatever. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm trying to do my terrible French translation, but what does it vaguely mean in English? Bon uh, spectac? The, the, the word spectacular for a show is, is, comes from spectac for, yeah. for a show in French. So bon is uh, good. Yeah. It's a good show. Bon spectac. Oui. Exactamement. Did you just say oui? Moi? Oui. Exactement. <laughs> It's Quebecois right, French. Thank you. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take your photo, okay? Yes, please. Sweet. Do. That was Laura Kometko. You can find her under the big top in Melbourne right now with the Cirque du Soleil production of Cusa. And then they head to Perth, I think, on the 14th of April for a couple of weeks. Uh, go and check it out. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for all of the support you've been giving me on patreon.com slash osher. Once again, if you like the show, if it's a value for you, uh, for as little as the price of a fancy cup of coffee once a month, you can make sure this show comes to your phone each and every week. A little as five bucks a month will, will help me pay my producer, Andy Ma, who's put this show together, and my production coordinator, Haley Van Spagna, who's made sure that I'm in the same room as my guests, which is often a very difficult task considering I've chosen to do about six jobs this year. Um, so between Andy and Haley, um, I like to 
make sure they get paid what they're worth. I'm not making any money out of this show, but I'm grateful that I can pay Andy and Haley with your help. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. If you need anything through the week, find me on Twitter, find me on Instagram, send me a podsies. I always love to see where you listen to the show. Until then, thank you so much for listening. I love that you listen. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Check out some earlier episodes if you're new. Um, Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you next week. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.